welcome. My name is Cecily Scholl and welcome to the Let's All Flourish podcast, where we are everyday relatable people talking about optimal wellness and discovering ways to help families, kids, and young adults discover their version of optimal wellness through lifestyle, movement, attitude, and nutrition choices that will allow each of us to thrive in our community as a whole. We would like to thank Upstarter Podcast Network. Yes, we would. Chase Mitchell and Upstarter Podcast Network is helping this podcaster, that's me, as well as others produce and edit their podcasts and make dreams a reality. So if you're thinking about it, you need to contact Chase because if you don't, time is just going to go by and then what? It becomes this thing that you thought about doing and you didn't do it, so you should just do it. Chase can help you bring forth the thoughts you want to share with the world, like he's helping me. Contact him today at upstarterpods at gmail.com. Welcome, everybody. If you listened yesterday, and I really hope you did, we talked to Angela Garvey, one of Dr. Sears' very first certified health coaches, about what makes a healthy meal. And we also talked about the challenges of getting a healthy meal on the table. We talked about traffic light eating with your kiddos, that green, yellow, red light eating, and some ways to stockpile what you are making, if you're making some meals in bulk and putting maybe like frozen burritos into the freezer so you're not having to buy frozen burrito and some really good tips like that. So if you didn't watch, if you'd watch, but if you didn't listen, take a listen to yesterday's episode. And then today we are lucky enough to have Miss Bridget Foy with us and we are going to talk to Bridget, a young, educated, recent UCLA graduate, and get her perspective on what she thinks a healthy meal is. So yesterday we talked to mom, today we're talking to a young millennial on that healthy meal and what her nutritional choices that she has made, not only we're going to kind of take her back to like as far back as she can remember, and then as a college student in the dorms, then she moved into the sorority house, and she moved out out on her own into an apartment. What advice she can give incoming freshmen, we know that's going to be different. Some of us are still waiting to see what that's going to look like. And then also returning college students, just kind of how are we going to handle this stressful situation, how to plan for it, COVID eating maybe even, how to work those things into a healthy diet. So stay tuned. Joining us on the podcast today is Bridget Foy. And a little background, I have known Bridget, I feel like forever, about half of her life, a super long time. Um, Again, recent graduate from UCLA in marine biology, and she's currently, we are lucky to have this young woman. She is currently studying to take the NCAT and will be a medical scribe, right, Bridget? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, medical scribe for a dermatologist um, for the coming year. She is joining us here in Elk Grove, California. She's going to be a medical scribe in Sacramento, which for those of you who don't know, we are on the West Coast of the United States. I just want to let our 
listeners who are in other parts of the world and country know where we are. And everything that I know about Bridget, you enjoy doing a lot of different things. I think when I think of things that you enjoy doing, I think of you like traveling and scuba diving and swimming from Alcatraz over to San Francisco and playing beach volleyball. And what am I missing? You got a lot of it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, we met through soccer Yep. and I was a swimmer growing up. I also did track and field. I was a runner and I threw shot put and discus. Oh my gosh. Um, I did some gymnastics. I think that's about it for sports. And then definitely traveling is a huge passion of mine. Yeah, that's what it, track and field. I threw shot put and discus. I didn't know we shared that. Oh my goodness. That's tough. (laughs) Nobody talks about how tough that is. So thank you so much for joining us today, especially when I know that you are studying like a mad woman. Thank you for having me. I wanted to start out with talking about life with active little Bridget and knowing that you were involved because I think meeting you as a soccer player out on the field, you were crazy soccer player and you were swimmers and we know that swimmers are in the pool morning and afternoon. So you were an active kid. Um, tell us what, what a healthy meal was for you in your memory as young Bridget, if you can remember back to being kind of like nine, 10 ish, if you can remember back like that. Yeah. I think some of the strongest memories that stand out to me were like sixth and seventh grade running in between practices I would go from volleyball practice at school to soccer practice and only have a 30 minute gap in between yes and my mom would drive over and we'd grab a subway sandwich really quick and I would eat it as fast as I could basically and jump on the soccer field for a two-hour practice and it was a lot of trying to squeeze meals in between all of the sports that I was trying to balance. Yeah. So I definitely remember it as it's kind of funny to think back on. Cause I, I remember just like eating little meals in the car. My mom would bring me um, a salad and some chicken and I would eat it in the car and then run to soccer practice. So I, I definitely remember when I was doing multiple sports, it was a lot of back and forth between this practice and now we go to this practice and then we have swim. So I, I it was a very hectic, but so much fun right. to grow up like that and involved in so many different sports. It's funny when I think, isn't it crazy when we think about that now that that's how we all were living and now that that's all come to a screeching halt, right? No, makes me sad for the kids that normally would grow up like that and yeah. now they're having to take a year off of sports or whatever the case may be right right and and which is part of the reason why I thank you so much for joining us because I think it's important that we talk about nutritional eating and like what we're doing with these meals because kids were eating a certain way perhaps if they were involved in these sports and they were used to a certain level of activity and now they're not maybe if they're not picking up that activity 
in other ways. However, I do see, that being said, I see kids out riding their bikes and doing other things, which is fantastic. But if they need to make some adjustments, something that we all need to think about, but also it's not going to last forever. So I, I'm so glad you're here to talk about the way that you were feeling, fueling your body as a young athlete and then as you've gotten older. So that's kind of where I'd love to see us go. So thank you so much. Let's talk about lunches. So that was a good mental picture of you guys racing around which we've all done. The other thing that I think about for kids and fueling during the days is school lunches. Did you pack your lunch? Did your mom pack your lunch? Did you have input into the lunch? What did that look like? So I'm, I'm trying to remember what it was like in elementary school. And I think if I'm remembering correctly, I think my parents would pack my lunch maybe three, three times a week. And then I would buy school lunch maybe twice a week. And I definitely, I don't remember packing my lunch very much. I think my parents mostly did it. But I do remember going to the grocery store with them And it would be a conversation between us, what type of foods I liked and what, you know, I would, you know, let's say grab a bag of marshmallows and say, (laughs) I want this my lunch. And my mom would say, no, that's not a good lunch option. Instead, we're going to get apple slices or whatever it is. But I definitely do remember being included in those conversations. And I definitely remember if I didn't like something. And I said, oh, mom, dad, like, I didn't really like that in my lunch today. They were obviously, it was always a conversation and it was always, okay, well, we want to make sure that you're enjoying what you're eating, but it's also healthy and it gives good nutritional value. So I think we worked together to come up with lunch options, even from when I was pretty young. Yeah. That's really cool that they included you in the conversation. Yeah, definitely. And... Do you remember like being, and I know that I'm, it's not like you're that old, but I know it's hard to remember back to elementary school, but do you remember the, like being at the lunch table and like if there was shuffling back and forth between friends of like, hey, you've got that, I want this, or like comparison of what everybody was bringing for lunch? Yeah, I totally remember that. You do? And okay. I definitely remember looking at some of my friends' lunches who got Oreos in their lunch as a dessert and coming home and saying, Mom, I want Oreos in my lunch. Mm. Like, why don't I get that? And my mom's like, oh, you know, maybe you can have one Oreo a week, but I'm not going to put Oreos in your lunch every single day. And I, I remember totally being jealous of my friends' lunches when I was in third grade or whatever. Mm. But looking back now, yeah, I'm so thankful that I didn't develop those habits. And I think I grew up with a little bit of a healthier mindset of dessert's not bad, but it is bad when you eat it every single day after all your meals all the time, you know? Yes. Okay. So that's a perfect, because I was wondering in terms of desserts and like go-to snacks, like what kind of house you grew up in? Because I know like 
where when I grew up, I was only allowed to have dessert like once a week. And that's changed for a lot of families. And even in my own house now, my kids get dessert a whole lot more, I will admit, more than once a week. But so in your house, was it dessert was more like once once a week or it was sounds like it was definitely monitored a little bit more closely? Yeah, I think it was about once a week we could get okay. a dessert like Sunday night or something. But something that I totally remember is sweet cereal. Oh, where we had the coveted cereal. sweet cereal. Oh, yeah. Cereal <laughs> was categorized as this cereal is appropriate for breakfast cereal. This cereal is dessert cereal. And they were very different categories. And I specifically and very clearly remember when I wanted dessert, I would have to choose between having a bowl of ice cream or a bowl of sweet cereal like Captain Crunch or Lucky Charms. And I think it's so funny now that I would actually, a lot of the time, choose to have a bowl of cereal instead of having ice cream because I thought sweet cereal was such a big deal that, you know, I never got it in the mornings. I was never allowed to have it for breakfast. So I would actually want to have it for dessert. So (laughs) that's a I love that. <laughs> oh, categorized cereals. That's um so that is another great uh tool though that you were given at a young age, like not only like including you in the conversation with shopping for your lunches, but also that was like setting you up to make choices of like, okay, like kind of like where do you want to spend your sweet dollars, right? Like, mm-hmm. do I want to spend them in my cereal or do I want to send? That's awesome. And okay, I want to talk about college in later years, but like, okay, remind me of that because that's fantastic. Do you remember like, has it just always been like that for you and your sister growing up or did your parents implement that at a particular point? I think it's always been like that. I I can't remember a time when I was ever, you know, allowed to have Lucky Charms for breakfast. And I, I do remember we would ask, my sister and I would ask, can we make brownies tonight or can we make cookies tonight? And sometimes my parents would say yes, but if we asked three days later, they'd say, no, you just had it a few days ago. You know, you shouldn't need it all the time. And, and it, again, it was just always a conversation. And it wasn't just, no, you can't. It was, no, you can't because that's not the healthiest and you want to be eating a little bit healthier than that and you should only have that every once in a while. So it was always educational when they said no. It wasn't just a flat no and then we didn't understand why. There was a reason. Mm-hmm. Again, like including you in it. So there was um, including you in the conversation. That's just fantastic. Yeah. I'm curious, knowing the sort the the level of sports that you were in. So I mentioned the swimming from Alcatraz to San Francisco, and maybe I should let you explain that swim for our listeners to like get because if I just say it like that, it doesn't really illustrate it. So I'd like you to explain <laughs> it and then explain the age you were when you first did that. Want to tell us about that? Yeah, so I was on swim team from six years old to 11 years old. Okay. And when I was 10, um, I decided with my dad and my sister that the three of us were going to 
take a ferry in a scheduled race and we signed up for the race and we took a ferry to Alcatraz Island and we swam 1.5 miles from Alcatraz Island to San Francisco Bay. It was 57 degree water, I think. We wore wetsuits, but it was definitely, I mean, I remember being pooped at the end of it when I was a little 10 year old. It was really, really challenging, but it's one of my proudest accomplishments. I bet at the age of 10, that's amazing to me. And okay, so did you have a big breakfast before that? Like, did you... Ah, that's just amazing to me. I've been amazed with you ever since. And I'm like, bow down because it's just never not liking the water. You know, I don't like the water, but okay. Fuel before then, like, did you fuel up for all of our young swimmers or athletes out there? Like, did you do anything differently? I think the night before any race I've done, whether it's a big swim meet or a big soccer tournament or swimming Alcatraz, I remember the night before, I always eat a really big carb meal. Okay. But other than that, I don't really remember changing my diet a ton. Okay. But I think I just was raised in a family where we always had a fairly consistent, healthy diet. Okay. And then just the night before an event or a race, I would eat a big bowl of pasta or a lot of carbs to fuel me. But... Other than that, I think I just always kind of maintain that healthy diet because it's what my family maintained. Consistency is key. I like yeah, that. Yeah, definitely. Yes. Okay, so let's move forward. Then we'll get you out of elementary school now, Bridget. You're probably like, okay, I want to <laughs> age me that a little. Works for me. Yeah, let's age you a little. Um, so actually, let's. Talk, so with your parents, it sounds like you guys were all in this together. I'm not getting the impression at all that you ever felt like you're, and I won't tell them if you say they were, but did you ever feel like your parents were the food police at all? And I bring this up because in our last episode, Angela and I both talked about the fact that we have felt like the food police as parents, but did you as a kid growing up ever feel like, oh my gosh, I just want to eat what I want? I definitely did when I was younger, and especially okay. with the sweet cereal thing. I remember having a sleepover at a friend's house, and her mom would let me have Lucky Charms for breakfast. And uh -huh. I'd be like, oh my gosh, why won't my mom have let me have Lucky Charms for breakfast? But, <laughs> I mean, when I look back on that, now that I'm older, I'm really thankful for how I was raised with those tastes and foods, and... I definitely think I had moments where I thought of them as food police, but I think I'm going to do the same thing to my kids. So I guess right. that shows that it, it was for the best. I don't right. think badly of that at all. Right. So it, you realize it now. So it comes across like, ah, oh, darn. And what is it about Lucky Charms anyways? It is Lucky Charms is like, Lucky Charms and I think Cap'n Crunch is another one that's like so coveted. Like, oh, I just oh, want yeah. those, right? Oh, yeah. Captain yeah. Crunch was my favorite dessert cereal when I was yes, younger. me too. My parents would go out, like, on a bowling night or something, and I, well, those were never allowed in, but I would just go looking for some sort of cereal that I could make sweet in my house. Mm -hmm. So weird. Anyways. Okay, so packing you up, heading off to college, you leave for UCLA, and, I mean, let's be honest, like, 
as colleges go, if our listeners don't know, UCLA is known for their amazing choices for food in the eating area, right? Like, do you want to describe it for everybody? Yeah, I am very, very lucky. I I honestly think in my four years that I was at UCLA, I think they were at some point ranked number one for the best dining hall food in the nation. I would believe for universities. that. I could believe that just from what I saw in our tour. Yeah. Like just so everything, I'm, right? I'm pretty lucky. Like quality, choice, if you were vegetarian or vegan or keto, like, I mean, they could pretty much meet any need that was available and freshness and just, it was all there. Yeah, you're, you're explaining it perfectly. And not only did they have all of those options for vegan, vegetarian, um, they had a whole gluten-free section that was completely separated and was cooked on different stoves than the rest of the food. Like they were very, very sensitive to all different types of eating and they also had so many different dining hall um themes of food kind of so they had you know like the healthier option and then the classic dorm food chicken strips and milkshakes and then they had um an all like asian cuisine where they had sushi and um they'd make ramen and it, it was just i mean it was crazy. I was so lucky that I had so many options, but it also enabled me to make those healthy decisions on my own for the first time uh-huh. because I moved into the freshman dorm and every single day I woke up with the option of going to the unhealthy chicken nuggets and pizza dining hall oh boy. or my favorite, which was called B-Plate. And it had quinoa and tofu and roasted veggies every day. And I ended up going to B-Plate, the healthier one, basically every single day freshman year because that was a lot of the food that I grew up with and that I learned to enjoy eating. And it helped me to then choose that option when I was on my own for the first time. Okay. So do you think then, Bridget, that the that that's what helped you choose that because that's what you grew up with? You just, you came in with that and you were like, what? Because I could see how a lot of kids might be like, oh my gosh, I've been deprived all my life. I want the chicken McDuggets and the, and the pizza. Yeah. It's How'd you do you that? It, actually. <laughs> How'd you do it? Um, I definitely went to the unhealthy one a good amount of times, you know, like I'd go there for brunch sometimes, or if a big group of friends on my floor were all going, I would go with them and I would just always walk away from it with a stomach ache or I would Uh. just not feel that great. And I would just like feel bloated or I would just, you know, it tastes good in the moment, but it kind of tastes a little greasy or I just think that honestly my taste developed differently and my stomach sensitivity changed a little bit so that when I would go to the unhealthier place, yeah, maybe I would enjoy eating the food, but I wouldn't feel super great afterwards. Whereas when I go to the healthier place, I can feel my body's difference and I can feel that I just am more fueled and more energized and I don't feel like I have a pound of bricks in my stomach. Right. You... um. 
do you feel like you were, because I feel like, wow, that's really rare that you were that mindful and in tune with yourself to make that realization of pretty quickly too, of like, so many of us don't have that. So many adults don't have that. Like, oh, if I eat cruddy, I feel cruddy. How, what do you attribute that to? I think it's a combination of just if I ate at B plate five days straight mm. and it always settled in my stomach, right? And then I ate at the other one one day and I felt, had a stomach ache and felt awful. Um, I think I could just tell that difference. And then it also was conscious too, because going from high school to college, I think that transition, especially if you're someone who was really active in high school and had regular sports practices and always had consistent workouts, mm-hmm. going to college and integrating workouts into your daily life without it just being scheduled for you is really difficult. And I would try to keep a consistent workout plan, but I think I also was consciously eating healthy because I knew maybe I wasn't working out as rigorously as I have my entire life. So I want to make sure I'm still being a healthy person. So I would eat healthy foods and then work out as much as I could fit into my schedule while still adjusting to college and getting used to college. So I think it was just trying to find that balance of eating healthy and still trying to work out after I've lost the exact schedule of working out that I've always had being on teams. Yes. And that's, yes. Thank you for bringing that up because that's exactly like what we were talking about, like at the beginning of this. So if we've got any young folks out there listening, which I hope we do, that's what I'm wondering if we might be looking out for them right now, like kids that were used to being in the middle of so much right now, whether they were playing baseball or swimming, although I did hear that they're starting to open some aquatic centers right now around the country, but no matter what the sport was, right? And then suddenly that all gets cut and maybe they're trying to do some stuff on their own or they're not, but I mean, even my own workouts, I feel like I'm not getting quite as much of a workout as I'm used to getting, and you have to kind of figure out how to make those adjustments on your yeah. own. So you and, totally do. And yeah. it's just, I mean, it's just trial and error, figuring it out and figuring yeah. out what makes you feel healthy while still being productive and a good use of your time. Yeah. So just trying to find that balance. And all of that, while you're, you're getting a little bit older and your body is still changing and oh, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. And you're under the stress of becoming a college freshman and oh man, well, it sounds like you were rocking it, which is awesome. I was trying my best, but thank you. Yeah. Um, okay. One other thing that made your transition to that eating environment a little bit different is knowing where the meat source was coming from, knowing that the meat in your freezer at home that you guys really pretty much always knew where that meat came from with your dad being an avid hunter and then going to a place not knowing where that meat was coming from. How did you feel about that? Like, did that matter to you at all? I think it mattered less 
knowing where the meat was coming from okay. and mattered more the environmental impact for me personally. Okay. I, I don't necessarily, I mean, I am conscious of trying to buy like cage-free eggs and trying to um, not support food industries that don't resonate well with me. But I think especially as a marine biology major, I was just learning about the beef industry and methane production and the atmosphere. And I just personally cut red meat out of my diet in college. Oh, okay. I just didn't really feel personally like I, well, I mean, I didn't think that it added that much to my diet. Yeah. And I also didn't like what it was supporting when I was eating red meat, but I still love red meat at home because I know where that's coming from and I support the environmental side of hunting. Right. Um, it's way better for the environment. And right. I, I think that getting your meat from the wild is a more sustainable option. So I did actually pretty much completely cut red meat out of my diet when I went to college. Interesting. That is so interesting. See, you're just, you're just, I feel like your level of consciousness as um, a college freshman is so much higher than mine was, Bridget. I mean, I definitely learned a lot along the way. Yeah. But I, I tried to be more conscious and I increased my tofu intake and I started eating more protein substitutes and I recently switched to almond milk and trying to get away from cow milk. So I'm, I'm just very, it's mostly an environmental thing to me though, honestly. And I think that's part of being a marine biology major and learning about those things that made me realize I don't actually like steak that much, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. Just making kind of moving through and making the choices that you want to make for your own health reasons and environmental reasons. Love it. Yeah. Did you see folks struggling at all? with that environment like were they down there saying oh my gosh the ice cream's free let's get a five pound bucket of it or was it was it pretty much was everybody like you I guess is what I want to say or do you think you're an anomaly yeah everyone was pretty similar to me I would say okay um most of my friends ate with me at the plate the the healthy um UCLA dorm. Okay. And, or I'm sorry, um, the healthy UCLA food commons. And I definitely think that the people I surrounded myself with had similar lifestyles as mine, whether okay. that was um, the food that we ate or the exercising we did or the academic interests we had. I, I mean, any of that. Um, I just feel like I gravitated towards friends that were similar to me and we would always end up eating at B plate together and getting a big bowl of roasted broccoli and you know getting like avocado toast for breakfast instead of a big waffle or whatever I mean just any like little choices like that so I do feel like my friends that I hung out with did have kind of similar diets as mine and we would go to the gym together sometimes and just kind of had similar lifestyles like that. Yeah. I just find it interesting that there's, you know, you always hear that the freshman 15, the freshman 15, it gets tossed around. And I feel like, actually, I think everyone would agree with me that it, it really is targeted at young women. 
when actually, on average, a college freshman will gain only between two and a half to three and a half pounds, which is only about a half a pound more than their same age peers that don't even attend college. So it makes me wonder, it's like they're putting all this extra weight on college freshmen that doesn't even exist. And it makes me wonder if the focus on the freshman 15 is a factor that almost pushes young women in college towards dieting and food shaming and just a focus on body shaming that doesn't even need to exist in the first place. Yet I'm talking to you and you sound so healthy about the whole thing. So it gives me hope, but I'm wondering if you experienced any of that as you were looking around at all. I definitely think it's a threat to women when they enter college. I think in the back of, I don't want to say everyone's minds, but in the back of a lot of freshman women's minds is, well, I just can't gain the freshman 15. I can't gain it. What do I have to do to not gain it? So I definitely think it's a topic that, I mean, my friends and I had definitely talked about before when we were freshmen and we would say like, oh, we have to, you know, make sure we're being healthy because this is the first time we're living on our own and the first time we're not doing sports three times a week for two hours, whatever. So I definitely think it's like this impeding kind of dark cloud threat. Right, yeah. Definitely more directed towards women. And I think social media just exacerbates that. And looking on Instagram... And seeing all these beautiful models that have perfect bodies and then thinking like, oh my gosh, I think I'm gaining weight in college, that it definitely skews what a woman's perception is of how her body should be, what numbers should be on the scale, what she should be eating. So I definitely think it influences that and I think it affects women more than it does men. Yeah. Yeah. You probably didn't go to any parties where guys were sitting around talking about that. I'm guessing. I don't think I've ever heard any of my guy friends talk about a freshman 15, but I don't know. I, you know, I don't want to discount them and discount their experiences, but that's just my personal experience. That's true. We should, yes, we shouldn't discount anybody. Let's talk about the transition from dorm life to because then you went to the sorority house is that right yes that was very different okay tell me let's talk about that tell tell me about that because there did you you have a chef make your meals there yeah okay yeah so I lived in the sorority house my sophomore year and we had a chef who cooked all of our meals for us five days a week Monday through Friday okay and he was the best he was great and the food was delicious but I definitely had a lot less choice in my diet and a Uh. lot I definitely found myself eating more unhealthy foods just because they were placed in front of me and when I walked downstairs for dinner that's what was for dinner so I ate it And I definitely found myself having a little bit more stomach aches after eating and putting on a few more pounds and being like, oh, crap, I got to start going to the gym or like, you know, not eating Joe's waffles for dinner all the time that he makes them, you know? So it it definitely became a lot more conscious when I lived in the sorority house because 
my options were limited. Aha. And so that's interesting because here we have, then I go to like, we have a house full of women. Did, and was the chef's name Joe? I don't want to out the chef. It was Joe. Yeah. Chef Joe. So were the meals that put out there, like, did they ask you guys, were you included in that conversation, like at home or was it a cost factor or was it a, this is what everybody wants factor or what was going on there? Kind of all of the above because the food was delicious. Don't get me wrong. Oh, I believe you. Yeah. It tasted really, really good. So he was a great chef, but it did have a little bit more of an unhealthy side to it. But he did send us some surveys and some questionnaires and say, you know, what are your favorite meals? What meals do you not like? And oftentimes we would respond and say, oh, maybe some healthier options or some healthier alternatives. Mm -hmm. And I think he did try to implement that, and he did try to have, like, every day for lunch, we always had a salad bar, which was great. I love that. But I think also when you're living in a house with 50 girls or 50 of us, you know, there's not – it's not going to be all 50 want to eat the perfect healthy meal impossible right it's impossible yeah so it's going to be a little split so you can't please everyone so I think he was just doing his best to have as many options as he could for us but he can't go to a completely perfect clean diet because then some of the other girls are not going to like that and I mean I probably wouldn't like eating a perfectly healthy clean diet every single day for an entire year I've never done that in my life before like I'm not going to say I have done that so I think it was just kind of me trying to find a balance between okay I sometimes am going to eat the food that he makes that's a little bit unhealthy but I also have to balance that with salad bar and protein or um, you know, increasing how much I'm working out and again, just adjusting and finding that balance. Right. Right. Okay. And you can't live in the sorority house as a freshman, right? You can move in halfway through the year, but it's kind of rare. Okay. I was thinking about that freshman 15 thing. I'm just curious. Is there like a focus on diet and weight consciousness more in the sorority house versus the dorms? For sure. Ah. I definitely think so. And I definitely found myself in my sorority house hearing more conversations, both positive and negative, talking about food. And Mm. I had friends that have had eating disorders, and I've had some friends that I've speculated have some sort of eating disorder or um, something that's going on that they maybe are conscious of or maybe they're not and I just feel like it was a little bit more of a toxic relationship with food that I saw in my sorority as compared to the dorms gotcha interesting and maybe it's your proximity living together or just the conversations were able to come up or hard to say hard to say I mean Sororities stereotypically are a bunch of white girls together, which my sorority was not like that. We had a lot of diversity in the sorority, but I think the old stereotypes of sororities being these beautiful blonde girls that have perfect bodies, 
like that just has continued throughout the years of that stereotype, even though that's not what my sorority was like at UCLA. Um, my sorority was beautiful and academic and we were very diverse and different skin colors and, and we didn't represent that stereotype, but the problems associated with that stereotype, like being really skinny and um, working out all the time and having this perfect body and perfect figure, I think those stereotypes have still carried over into the years, even though that's not what my sorority is anymore. Did was, Were there conversations in the sorority like a, around that topic ever, or was it something that was just kind of, were those the kind of hushed conversations? No, it was, it was pretty talked about. Okay. And we would have um, very open conversations about it. And my sorority definitely was, I think, more on the side of trying to make sure that the women in my sorority had positive mental health. Yeah. And a huge part of mental health is body image. And yeah. I do think that it was talked about in a very serious and sincere way. And I think that's why some girls were vocal about their eating disorders because they felt empowered to talk about it because they felt like if they did let people know and did talk about it, you know, it wasn't as stigmatized and they felt supported and they were able to seek the help and the support that they needed. Whereas if it's hush hush conversations, right. there's a stigma around it and it is looked at as such a negative thing when, I mean, it, the person needs to be helped and needs to be supported and needs to feel loved. And I think my sorority tried to do a good job of making those women feel supported and loved and not feel like they were alone. Mm, that's awesome. That's awesome. I'm so happy to know that, you know, we're lucky to be living in a time where those conversations are taking place and they're really that's part. happening. Yeah. Okay. So then we are making the transition to the apartment. Mm -hmm. So now you are on your own. So you've gone yeah, from the dorm. Awesome. <laughs> it's you're uh, you're in charge of your own food, your own shopping. What made that I awesome? Loved it. Really? Okay. Yeah. Because because I just felt like I had so much freedom in okay. my choices, and I got to explore and try new recipes and find what I liked. And I also, my third and fourth year of UCLA, I lived in my apartment and my third year especially was one of my toughest academic years. And I honestly saw cooking dinner, especially as a study break. Uh, and yeah. so I would take like 30 or 45 minutes and cook this yummy dinner with chicken and roasted veggies and um, you know, quinoa or sometimes a pasta made out of veggies or whatever. And it, it was almost like I used my dinner time cooking as a mental relaxation and a reset. And then I would eat my dinner, be super happy, and then go back to studying for a few more hours. Ah, love that. So you, it was like a little bit of therapy for you, like a, yeah, yes, a reprieve. 
And oh, what yeah. a, what about the shopping piece? Was that a chore or was did you also enjoy that? Because you have to be able to go out and get the groceries. Yeah, it's funny that you asked that because once I was at the grocery store, I had a blast shopping. Yeah. And I was so excited to pick out my meals, you know, for the next bit of time. But the actual act of going to the grocery store, I would put off for so long and Mm. I would have to scrounge in the back of my cabinet for like a few days because I just did not want to go to the grocery store. But that was also because I was studying so hard and I felt like I didn't have time to take away from having a midterm the next day or a midterm three days from now that I was already studying for, you know, something like that. So it was definitely a chore to get my butt up and out of my apartment and to the grocery store. But yeah. once I was at the grocery store, then I loved the actual shopping part of it, if that makes sense. No, it totally does. And I'm also thinking about it might not have been that convenient for you to get there, right? Like depending on where you are in UCLA or for any college student, it sometimes it can be difficult to to get there, whether you have a car or you have to take mass transit or if you're on a bike, it can be a pain. It's definitely a pain. And it's just, I mean, when I was at home and just studying and I felt like I had a million more problems to do, I just did not want to have to go to the grocery store. Yeah. So it definitely felt like a little bit of a drag to have to get my butt up and go there. Yeah. But then I loved having a fridge full of food and (laughs) being able to cook amazing meals and not having to scrounge in the back of my cabinet. Yeah. Yeah. So being prepared, being prepared to make your amazing meals. Even you just got to go through a little bit of pain for that preparation. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about the party eating. Cause I've heard that college students are known to party I've just heard it. I don't know that it's true. And then there might be food involved before the party, maybe at the party, maybe after the party. And I don't know if you're involved in any of that, Bridget. You could just talk that you've heard or whatever. But um, what about those situations? How do you handle those situations? And then if there's any guilt afterwards for that, how do you deal with all of that that comes along? Yeah, so it's definitely different through each of the living situations that I was in. So freshman year, when I had my meal plan, the only food that I kept in my dorm was cereal and milk. And (laughs) it's actually funny because my cereal that I kept was always healthy cereal, like Special K or Cheerios or maybe Honey Nut Cheerios. Um, Not even Captain Crunch. I I never (laughs) bought Captain Crunch on my own because this is so sweet. I just can't even handle it now. I have to eat it in like small doses. But um, yeah, freshman year, I used to come home almost after every night of going out and I'd have a bowl of cereal. And I don't think that really did anything at all. So I feel no remorse over that whatsoever. But sophomore year, um, we had a food basement downstairs where we would keep the leftover food from that day's meals from lunch and dinner. And I definitely ate some not so good food down there at one in the morning every, um, every other time I went out or however often. Yeah. Um, 
but I don't, I don't know if I necessarily felt guilty about it. Yeah. I think it was just kind of like, oh, I'm hungry and my friend and I are going to go down there and snack. And then the next morning I'd wake up with an extra full stomach, which never felt super great. But I was always just kind of like, you know, it's just helping me get through the night or it's just, you know, making me feel good in the moment. And I know that I have a normal, healthy diet, so I wouldn't feel too sad about it. Yeah. When I moved into my apartment, I would actually come home and a lot of the time I would eat hummus. Oh, there you go. Like bell peppers and hummus, or crackers and hummus. So I don't know why that was my go-to food when (laughs) I was in my apartment, but um, that was my favorite food to snack on. So I don't know. I I never felt too guilty about it though, because I always just just kind of like, you know, I I have a normally pretty healthy diet, and if I eat some random crap food at one in the morning. The next day, I'm probably not going to feel super great on my stomach, but yeah. it's not the end of the world, in my opinion. Yeah. So what I'm getting out of all of this so far is if you're consistent with a good diet all along, that when everything goes off the rails and you're having a blast, it's okay. Like you got to give yeah. yourself some grace and be kind to yourself and go have a great time. Right? Yeah. That's, that's kind of my take on it. Yeah. Okay, if you've been awesome, I if you could offer advice to incoming freshmen, returning college students, we're heading back into kind of uncertain times, but let's I just want to be positive and assume college is starting and everybody's going to get to go whatever that might look like. Let's just say whatever it might look like. We know it might be stressful, COVID and all. Um, we don't know what the cafeterias are going to look like, but they've got to be fed, right? People are going to need food. Uh, what advice would you offer to make sure the freshmen get out, you know, set themselves up for success and are eating healthily and taking care of themselves and returning college students are doing the same based on your experience what what nuggets would you give them I would say definitely to find that balance and it will take trial and error and it will take some few consecutive weeks where you're you know maybe trying something more extreme and you realize "Hmm, I don't know if that's actually for me or you might regress a little bit and then you know, I just don't want them to feel guilty if someone were to regress and maybe gain a few pounds. Like, I just don't want them to feel guilty because that's such a huge transition in your life. And there's so much that's going on. And there's so much that is changing. And even as a young woman or as a young man, when you're 18 years old, you're very different than you were when you were 15. And you're also going to be very different physiologically, biologically, mentally than when you're 22. And so just try to find the balance, but don't be too hard on yourself if it takes you a while to get there. And also to just listen to your body. And if your body is, if you're feeling good and if your body is feeling good and you're feeling energized and you're feeling productive and you feel like, the food that you're eating is getting you good fuel for your day, then that's amazing. But if you feel like 
the food that you're eating is making you feel like lethargic or not making you feel mentally or physically like you're at your best, then, you know, maybe take a step back, try to reassess, try to switch some, some things around, but it's just trial and error and everybody finds their own balance that works for them. And also, I guess, just don't always compare yourself to other people because somebody else might find something that works and learn from each other, but just find what works for you and find something that if it can be a sustainable for your future for the next few years of your life, then that's even more incredible. I'm writing all these down, Bridget, because they're fantastic. I'm so glad. Yeah, these are great nuggets. Okay, now also if I could ask you, those are great nuggets for our college students, our incoming freshmen and college students. And they might be similar as well for our kids that are out there that maybe you're having a different activity level right now that we were have kind of talked to a little bit dispersed throughout here. But for those kids that we have that may find themselves not moving around as much as they would like, do you have any nuggets that you might like to share with them? Like maybe ideas of how they might move or things, adjustments or ideas for success that they might do? Yeah, I mean, if you have a bike or roller skates or a scooter or anything to get you out of the house, or even if you don't have that and you just want to go for a walk or a jog, um, I think getting out of the house, if you're doing it safely, is a really great way to cleanse your mind and to make your body feel better. Because a huge part of this quarantine is that we're all stuck inside. And if we're able to safely get outside and take a little lap around the neighborhood or ride the bike up and down the cul-de-sac or whatever, it just lets you feel the sun on your skin and look outside and you can hear the birds and it just kind of rejuvenates and refreshes my mind. And I hope it would do so for that person too. But I think that is definitely what makes me still feel like a sane human. Right. Yeah. And also, I mean, if you have a backyard um, that you're able to sit in and work in, if you're doing online Zoom lectures, even if you can't necessarily be going on a walk or be active during your Zoom lecture or something, I used to love doing my spring quarter UCLA, um, the spring quarter quarantine UCLA classes outside, just sitting on my back porch or sitting on my hammock and just relaxing and just, again, like feeling the sun and just feeling like you're still a part of nature, even though you've been cooped up inside your house for four months. Oh, I love that. Bridget, you're awesome. You are awesome. You are just awesome. You have given us a lot of really good information here tonight here, like just kind of backing, tr backtracking with everything that I've picked up from you throughout your life, really, things that I've loved that I've heard is that you really, there's been a conversation and a dialogue with your parents as you were growing up in terms of like not needing dessert 
every single night of the week, but maybe a couple nights of the week. And it wasn't ever like a hard no, but like there was a reason for every discussion that went on. Like, no, you can't have it tonight. And here's why. I loved that. I loved that the cereals were categorized like from <laughs> no sugar all the way up to sugar and that that's how you knew how to base your choices. That if you went with a full-on sugar cereal, that then, okay, you had totally sugary cereal for breakfast, so no dessert tonight. That is such a good learning for all of us to be thinking about when we're eating and making our choices throughout the day. You need that, it's that balance like you were just talking about. I love that. I think sometimes a lot of us as parents don't think that our kids are able to make those kind of associations, that the, if we give them the information, they won't be able to make those choices. And you are a perfect illustration of the fact that if we give the kids the information, they can make the choices. The fact that you were having big carb meals before a lot of your races and things, but that nothing huge really needed to be different. I also love that because I think a lot of times we put a little bit too much emphasis on what's necessary for our kids. We just need to feed them and we just need to be consistent with a good quality diet throughout their little lives and they're going to do great. I think that's fantastic. The fact that you used cooking as a study break as a college student, that's interesting to know because a lot of young people might not really be thinking about cooking as a steady break. And maybe that's worth taking a look at for a lot of folks. Did you always, did you cook at home before you left for college? I'm no, kind of curious. No. Not at all. And I yeah. really panicked when I moved into my apartment. You did. I didn't know how to make anything. <laughs> what was your first meal? I'm so curious. Do you remember? Like what was the my first thing you ever made? My friends helped me. I cooked with my two friends and they took me grocery shopping and we spent like 45 minutes. We all like split up grocery shopping. Yeah. And we came back 45 minutes later and their carts were full and I had like four items and they were like, <laughs> what did you just do for the past 45 minutes? You're so like, I'm overwhelmed. <laughs> the pressure. Oh, that's I funny. really had to learn. It did not. I, I'm very lucky that my parents always cooked my food growing up and yeah I really love them and I'm very thankful for that but yeah it was a learning curve for sure when I moved into my apartment yeah oh, that's good so maybe that's another tip is maybe start um maybe start dabbling around in the kitchen before you move out <laughs> I would recommend dabbling in the kitchen before you move out <laughs> And then it sounds like you need to have a lot of cereal on hand. That's my takeaway also. Everyone should my have a freshman, lot of cereal yeah, on hand. My freshman roommate <laughs> used to tease me about my nightly cereal. Like she knew when I came home from going out because she could hear me like silently eating cereal in the dorm. Uh, but that, that's just the personal weird thing about me. So I don't know if anyone else out there is similar. <laughs> I think that's awesome. Well, I have thoroughly enjoyed chatting with you. I always do. And then I'm also going to put your nuggets that you had for incoming freshmen. I will put those in the show notes so that everyone can catch those as well because they were fantastic. Do you have anything else that you would like to add before we sign off here? I think just feeling 
good about yourself and where you're at. And I personally am not a big scale watcher. Good for and you. And if that works for you, then that's amazing. But I think just feeling good about yourself, feeling good in your own skin is the best thing for me personally. So I would just say if what you're doing is making you feel good and making you feel happy and healthy, then keep it up. You're doing great. Mm. Air five, sister. I'm with you. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. Now, I think, don't you got studying to do? I, yes, I, I'm oh, going to no. practice MCAT tomorrow. So I wish you I luck. definitely have to, uh, get some good sleep tonight to okay. prepare for that. That's right. You're done studying for day. Good. Get some good sleep and good luck on the, te- on the practice test tomorrow. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on the show. This is so much fun. I'm so glad you were here. Love you. Talk to you soon. Love you. Talk to you soon. Okay. Bye. Again, a quick thank you to Upstarter Podcast Network. Contact them today. Get those thoughts out into the world. Contact upstarterpods at gmail.com. Thank you, Bridget Foy, for stopping by. Oh my gosh, is she awesome or what? I will have all of Bridget's advice and nuggets in the show notes. Next week, I am super excited. We are going to be talking with Christine Fonseca. Christine is a licensed educational psychologist. She is a critically acclaimed author and also a nationally recognized speaker on topics related to educational psychology, mental health, giftedness, and she uses storytelling to heal past wounds. Christine will be calling in to talk with us about disappointment and how it's affecting not only us, but our kids right now and how we can all manage this big thing called disappointment. Can't wait. 